Welcome to Voices from the Bench, a dental laboratory podcast. Send us an email at info at voicesfromthebench.com or look for us on Facebook at Voices from the Bench. Greetings and welcome to episode 193 of Voices from the Bench. My name is Elvis. And my name is Barbara. Your nose sounds better. A little bit. Still a little nasally though. It is. It's a lingering cold. I cannot (laughs) believe that it's still in my system, but hopefully soon it will be gone. Well, you sound a little better. Not great, but better. How's your week going? Pretty good. I was uh, out in Ohio last week visiting labs. And something happened that I really wasn't prepared for as a traveling salesperson. Yeah. And that is snow. Snow happened. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> sorry for your luck. It's 75 here in Florida. Oh, jeez. Yeah. I'm wearing a sweatshirt because it was 55 this morning. Yeah, we barely had snow here in Indiana, but when I was out in Ohio, I bet you they got two inches the day wow. I was out. Of course, by the next day, it was in the 40s and it was all gone, but that's just a whole new aspect of traveling I've never really considered, but it is what it is. All right. I don't think Preet will give me southwestern territory just for the winter, maybe. Uh, I'm... Probably not. <laughs> but I'm glad you got a Preet plug in there, partner. I always have to. <laughs> so this week, we're going to get right to it. We're taking a break from the recordings we got at the Whitmix Digital Forum, and we'll be back next week with more, but we wanted to bring you a conversation we had with Ken Butler, who's the head of R&D at Dandy. Now, Dandy's a company that came into our industry and disrupted what really has always been known as the traditional dental lab. There are many people online and at conventions talking about Dandy, And most of them, honestly, really didn't know what they were doing. It was a lot of rumors that were going around. So at Lab Day East, Ken found me and told me that Dandy is ready to come on and tell everybody what and why they are doing what they are doing. Now, the podcast will always be a platform for anyone in our industry to come on and talk about anything related to the industry. And we definitely understand that many don't like what Dandy's doing. And we also know that many are joining them in this new way to produce restorations. Barb and I don't take a stance other than we want to give people an equal platform to have a conversation about the topic. True to that. But with that being said, Ken comes on the podcast to talk about how and why Dandy came to be, what they've learned along the way, and what we really appreciate him coming on for is he answers some of the rumors that I've heard over the last few months. And I have not. Just and Barb has not, because she lives in her own world. Exactly. In Florida. <laughs> now, I am going to pre-apologize. This one does have some barking dogs in the background. Oh, uh, yeah. A few. A few. A little more than usual, but I couldn't edit it all out, so I apologize. But this is a good conversation that people definitely won't be yawning during. So join us as we chat with Ken Butler. Did you know that most InLab MCX5 users that have ordered burrs from Grow3x once keep on ordering Grow3x burrs over and over again? No way. You know what? I didn't know that. Why do you think that is, Elvis? I think it's because Grow3x burrs are engineered by some of the same folks who have been providing burrs to some of the largest U.S. production labs for years. Did you also know that most roll-ins and DG Shape users have no idea what they are missing out on? Well, I think I can guess what they're missing out on. 
You are right. Most Roland and DG Shape users have absolutely no idea how good and great Grow3x burrs are because they think that the Grow3x burrs are only for the in-lab systems. Well, they are wrong. <laughs> to give Roland and DG Shape users the opportunity to find out for themselves how great the burrs are for their machines, Grow3x is now offering a buy three, get two burrs free special. This is exclusively for Voices from the Bench listeners, you guys, so please go support them. So all you simply have to do is go to the Grow3x website. That's grow3x.com, click on Burrs, then select Roland and DG Shape, add five Burrs of your choice to your cart, click on Checkout, enter the discount code B3G2, that is B as in boy, the number three, G as in girl, the number two, burrs, and check out. That's awesome. You know what? We actually have a code, Elvis. Boom. That was easy, guys. Go for it. Free burrs. Use them and use them well. And we appreciate your support of the podcast, Grow3x. Thank you. Voices from the Bench. The Interview. We're super excited to talk to Ken Butler from Dandy. Now, Dandy is a subject that uh, our industry is talking a lot about these days. And Ken's agreed to come on to kind of set the record straight. So how are you, sir? <laughs> I'm doing good. Thank you, Elvis. Awesome. So, Ken, how to start, really? Let's just start with what is Dandy? Why did it come about? Sure. Oh, I want to know. Oh, I want to know. How did you um, create the name? <laughs> oh, there's a great story behind that. Okay, sure. So let's rewind the clock back to around 2018, summer of 2018. Okay. The business actually used to be called Orthly. We actually started out as a completely different business. We were a direct-to-consumer career aligner company competing with Candid and Smile Direct Club. Hmm. The big difference with our model that we were trying to go down was that rather than doing, uh, you know, mail uh, like mail-in impression kits or uh, smile shops, as Smile Direct Club calls them, we decided to try and partner with GPs. And effectively, the relationship was, hey, we're going to do the Facebook marketing. We're going to get patients in the door, and we are going to do almost all the work for you. The only thing that we ask for you, GP, is that we're going to give you free patient flow. You just need to go through, chat with them, do a quick screen, make sure that they don't have you know, anything really, really bad going on sure. with the existing dentition. Which is a lot more than Smile Directed. Exactly, exactly. Right, we, were, we, were, we felt like we were actually doing the, the right and the responsible thing. Dentists would take either a scan or they would take a physical impression, uh, and then they would send that off to Dandy. We would go through and send that case up to effectively be designed by one of our uh, in-house treatment planners. Uh, we also had an on-staff ortho at the time. So this is where the business started. It was originally started by two Penn students, and for basically a whole bunch of different reasons, they were in the middle of school. The business ended up shutting down. Come around 2018, one of my good friends, Tony Alco, actually ended up meeting one of the, or the original co-founders. His name's Daniel Hanover. The two of them got together and basically Dan was telling Tony about this, the, the Orthly business and the, the interesting dynamics that were going on in the clear liner industry, but that they decided not to run Orthly full-time. It was just too much between that and school. 
However, you know, Tony, ever, ever the entrepreneur, I thought that this was an interesting idea and spent basically the entire summer going through and figuring out, hey, how, how can how can we reboot this brand? Basically, a whole bunch of lawyers had to be involved, paperwork had to be shuffled around. But at the end of it, in summer of 2018, Tony and Dan rebooted the brand as Orthly. And a week after that, I had known Tony for a while since then. Tony shoots me a text. He says, hey, man, what's going on? How are you doing? I'm like, screw you. You know I'm not doing anything right now. What's up? What do you, what do you want from me? told me about this clear aligner opportunity and that is how the business was started. We had a very, very small amount of, of friends and family investment and also just decided not to take paychecks for the first six months uh, of Worthley's business as we got it uh, effectively rebooted. Through that process, we grew the team to about a dozen people or so. We were actually doing I would say fairly well. And the, the way our business would work is that we would go find GPs and you know give them this pitch. It's like, hey, we're going to give you basically free patient flow. You just need to check these cases for us, take impressions for us. Great. What that started evolving into was, oh, wow, scans. We realized very early on that scans just resulted in fundamentally more accurate impressions than physical impressions in our experience. So that, that was the only thing we had going on was like, wow, there, there was almost like a 40 to 50% reduction in um, like first try failures on clear aligners when we used the control scanner. Hmm. Yeah, that's pretty remarkable. And I, I definitely agree on my end of the scale. I didn't really like um, scanning at first, but now I just love it. Yeah, now, oh, uh, I can go, I can, <laughs> I can nerd out for hours about the history of intraoral scanners and scanning yes. in general, but I'll, I'll, I'll keep it the, the long story short. We would go and actually start offering these doctors, hey, if you go through and join Dandy, we'll send someone out to train you for free. And we, we thought that was just like, you know, it was a way to solve our problem because doctors were struggling scanning in some cases. They just got the scanner. They wanted to work with Orthly. And we noticed that, oh, hey, doctors really perked up at this. They, they, they really liked that idea. And so I started hit, basically hitting the road. It was our, effectively our first trainer going through. Uh, and what I would do is I would go to the, these practices. And the day I arrived, I would look at the scanner that they have. Doctors finishing up some procedure. You know, it's another 10, 15 minutes. Mm -hmm. I would open up like the tutorial videos of how to use scanner XYB. Me in a care stream, me in Nitero that was standing in front of me. And I was, you know, learning as I go, picking this up. And, and, and I was I was personally shocked because like, wow, with 15, 20 minutes of like scanning knowledge and also the fact that I once you use one scanner, you kind of got the hang of all scanners. You start understanding how scanners work in general. It became easier and easier to teach doctors. So at this point, Orthly is not providing scanners. No, not You're yet. just working with doctors that have scanners in order to work on their clear aligners only, right? Correct. Okay. Correct. Yep. Yep. This context here is going to be, it's got to, it's, this is all going to fall together once we get, once we get to. Sure. Uh, yeah. Today. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just making sure. Uh, keep track. Well, I'm just proud that Elvis is following. So. <laughs> yep. So with that, you know, I also ended up finding myself actually using basically every other scanner on the market. And slowly but surely, I started to like form my own opinions about what was a good scanner, and what was not a good scanner. It comes to the point where, you know, I felt pretty comfortable training folks on how to scan for clear aligners. Doctors started to ask me, hey, how do I scan for a crown? And in the back of my head, I didn't say this out loud, but I'm like, what in the world is a crown? I have no oh, idea what this guy's talking okay. about. I know ortho. I know ortho oh. really well. I know that all too well. Nothing unrestorative me. Uh, so, you know, just the classic pattern. I go, go back to the uh, hotel and I just basically spend the rest of the night <laughs> up until like two in the morning. Uh, reading about, yeah, learning about restorative dentistry, understanding the, the, the lab side of the business. And, you know, also watched a couple of videos on how to scan for crowns. And I'm like, oh, this, this, does, this makes total sense. Okay, now, now I get what this is. That's called the crown. Got it. And then go through, start teaching our doctors how to scan for that. And 
a little light bulb goes off in my head and it takes months for this idea to develop and share with the rest of the team. And it's like, yes, that's interesting that let's focus on this clear aligner business. And the, the concept was effectively, hey, we're going into these doctor's offices. We're noticing that they're not comfortable using a scanner, even though at this point, it's objectively a better way to take, in our opinion, right? We, we very, we, we've learned a lot more since then, but like at that time we were like, oh, this is objectively a better way to take impressions. Yeah. Let's just go through what would, what would happen if we just started training our doctors on how to use this for our clear aligner workflow. Hmm. So I'm going to put a pen in the training component. The other thing that happens at the same time is that one of our larger practices, this is in the Orthly model, was started with physical impressions, but because they were doing so much volume, we actually did the back of the napkin math and we realized, hey, it actually makes sense for us to buy this guy a scanner and teach them this practice how to use the scanner just because it will result in an enormous amount of cost savings on the back end for us. Uh, we don't have to go through and remake half of our cases that don't fit on first try. Interesting. So we go through, we purchase this, we we go through the training, uh, the official training for the Trios scanner because this is after, after you know months and months of training and using all these different scanners, we ended up having the opinion that the Trios, even at that time, was probably our best bet. We go through, we train up the doctor, and there is like the hypothesis ends up playing out. It's like, oh wow, there is just an, we paid off that scanner in four or five months just purely from cost savings on not having to do remakes. On just clear aligners, too. Well, to be fair, clear aligners, right? Like we're, we're talking $2,000 per case. Uh, as like a baseline from a lab perspective, it is yeah. much, much, much easier to pay off, and the economics work there. So all this is happening. We're starting to form opinions on intraoral scanners, and we're starting to think the gears are starting to turn in our head. Two things finally happen, I want to say, around the end of 2019. First, I go to Tony and Dan, and I'm like, hey, we've got this interesting thing going on with our scanners, but I think there was just a general sentiment that Orthly was not growing the way we wanted it to. It was doing fine as a business, but we were looking to you know, try and build an incredible industry category defining business. And uh, we didn't feel like we were on that path with Orthly. The, the behemoth that was SDC and Candid and Design, we thought was too much to overcome. Okay. The second component was that as one of my trainings, I asked you know, one of these doctors, hey, can I see an example of your lab invoice? Can I see how much you guys are paying for crown and bridge work? Lo and behold, we, I, I saw like, yeah, it's like $120 for a zirconia crown. I go back to the hotel that night once again, and I look up, you know, zirconia crown dental lab pricing. And right at the top of that list, that said $34 next dental lab zirconia crown. <laughs> yeah. It was very obvious, like so, so painfully obvious that this is a Chinese outsourced crown. However, in my mind, it was like, that doesn't explain, a, it, like my gut was just like, that doesn't explain a $90 difference just from outsourcing overseas because there are additional costs that you end up incurring. What the heck is going on? This spun this this whole idea that effectively ended with us being realizing, hey, a lot of the technology that we've built to manage our clear aligner workflow and production workflow actually translates over really well to lab production, particularly when it comes to purely digital restorations like zirconia. So what if we went to our doctors and said, hey, we are a dental laboratory. Let's let, let's just start with one practice and let's, let's work our way up. We go to our first doctor, the doctor that we bought the scanner for, and we said, Hey, Doc, uh, if you got a couple of crown cases coming up, we'd love to just for free do your crowns for you. We can still send it to your existing lab, but we, we want to see what kind of outcomes we can get. So sure, great. We take, so we take his intraoral scan. We uh, found a great partner lab. They, they designed the crown for us. All we knew is like, hey, the technology that we built here to transfer orders around actually was pretty seamless. Even on order number one, that we get that crown. Tony has to wake Dan up to get him onto the Amtrak to hand deliver our first crown from, mm. from New York to Philadelphia. We go in and the first crown doesn't fit. <laughs> Contacts are too tight. Oh. Oh no, I was going to say, that I would have thought that would have been perfect. <laughs> so 
contacts are too tight, and that, this is how we learned about interproximal contact tightness. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, God, yeah. And so we, we realized, it's like, oh, hey, interestingly, and actually in retrospect, is like this doctor actually just had a preference where the contacts were actually fine. He just needed to do a little bit of final shaping. The lab that we worked with, generally, they found that their doctors preferred that. Mm-hmm. This doctor, on the other hand, wants something closer to a drop-in. You know, he obviously still wanted the floss to pop, but he didn't want to have to do chairs and adjustments. So we redesigned his crown. We redelivered the crown, and that fit perfectly. And then the next five crowns also fit like a glove. And then we decided to, you know, get a, get a little fancy. We decided to try a three-unit bridge. Also went flawlessly. And for us, that was enough to say, like, oh, interesting. We might be onto something. There might actually be something interesting here because the also the other reality of working with pure digital cases is that you go to any average lab, about a third of that space and a third of that headcount is dedicated to doing one thing. It's working with plaster. Hmm. Yeah, the modeling. Yep. Right. It, it's a, like if you actually look at your lab, right? It's, it's usually very consistently about a third of that square footage and headcount is just <laughs> easily yep. ditching dyes, articulating them, scanning them back in. If you're it's also a the dirtiest. Yeah. And all... <laughs> With us, we very quickly, like this, this is where things start going back to back. Things start falling in place in our head. It's like, oh, wow. If we actually go through and start, A, offering free training to doctors that had scanners but weren't comfortable using them, and also figuring out ways to get scanners into doctors' hands, we become the trainer, we could become the provider, and we can actually deliver really, really good restorations while still being able to offer a scanner and still making our business model work. So this is effectively the Nexus moment. This is also around the same time that we rebranded from Orthly to Dandy. This was, you know, it was just an enormous time of change for us. We decided to effectively shut down the direct consumer clear liner business. We still do have a B2B clear liner business, but we decided to go all in on this wow. idea of being a digital dental lab. And this is over You're the course me. of like maybe 30 days. Yeah. You completely switched gears. I mean, wow. yeah, it, for, for us, it was like we, cause we did that and then we started going to our other doctors and. It's so hard to explain the feeling. Uh, the startup term is called product market fit, which is effectively you've finally discovered a product that people want to pay for. And you don't know it until you don't know that feeling until you go from struggling to selling a, an, a product to you cannot keep up with the demand. It basically happened within the span of 30 days. Wow. So at this time, you're still using your partner lab, right? You didn't create a lab yet. You just went to change your name. You knew that you wanted to train and do the scanning, but you still don't have a lab. Is that correct? That is correct. And to be honest, even if we had to do it again, I would very, very much do it that way. And I can get into effectively the the benefits of what we internally describe ourselves as as a hybrid dental lab, not necessarily one that is pure outsource. And I think outsourcing generally like it's connotes with, oh, you know, you're outsourcing to China or outsourcing overseas. We we actually just straight up don't do that. All of our production uh, is still US-based. Well, that's good to know. I like that. Yeah. 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 What we end up doing instead, actually, sorry, I am jumping the gun here, but Barbara, I think you'll like yeah, this. I'm we sorry, actually, <laughs> <laughs> no, it's totally fine. We actually do have a lot of technicians on staff at this point, I think over 50. You know, I've read comments online about, I was like, oh, we don't see any job postings from Dandy. They don't have technicians. Like, no, we got a lot of technicians. <laughs> you just don't, you don't see them. The the thing there though, is that because we're offering like, you know, solid work-life balance, free healthcare, we, we really care about the technicians that we hire, let them work from home. We're actually realizing, I, I was looking at this, the, effectively our headcount the other day, and I also realized 50% of our designers are, are women. And that wasn't even like a deliberate decision that we, we set out. I was like, oh, you know, we, we want to index for this. It was just the, hmm. the way we treat our technicians and the way we give work-life balance. We want to make sure that we got the best talent and the best talent that consistently comes to Dandy has been really great women that are technicians uh, and particularly CAD camp savvy ones. 
Nice. Okay, so you started doing crowns just for a handful of doctors, and everything's going to a lab. So you're just a pass-through at this point. When do you, when do you start saying, we want to hire our own designers? That happens. So there's actually an intermediary step, and I, wanna, okay. I wanna actually want to touch on this. Yes, The please. intermediary step is... I hate the word middleman okay. <laughs> and I, for very obvious reasons, because for us, there's a couple of critical components that Dandy collects. That I think LVC as a former lab owner will really appreciate. For one, we are actually the ones that handle all of the billing and collections. You get a guaranteed payout from, as a lab, you get a guaranteed payout from Dandy. It is on us to actually go and collect from the dentist. You don't have to worry about, oh, if I do this work, am I going to get paid for it? We handle all of that, including you know, calling out outbound, you don't have to hire additional uh, administrative uh, folks or bookkeeping to help try and manage that process. The other thing that we do is we effectively act as the first filter for our labs. So I'm sure you, I'm, I'm sure both of you guys know this, where doctor calls in and, and, you know, they're making a big fuss on the phone. They have this critical thing. They really want to talk to a technician. Mm-hmm. They finally get the technician on the phone and their question is, hey, so when is my case arriving? Mm. An actual, like a truly a borderline nuclear bomb of time waste just went off. And, yeah, and no, in a lot, sure. almost every lab I've been to, like that bomb keeps going off. That's the thing at Dandy that we act as that filter. We have our own internal operations team, support team, IT team. They are the ones that effectively filter out all of that from the technician. So at Dandy Partner Lab, even around this time, we kept it pretty simple. We're going to send you cases. We're going to get all the information about this doctor's preferences, how they like their contacts, how they like their standing to be done, like all the like the nitty gritty preferences that you learn about your doctor over time. We will collect up front and learn with you. In return, we're going to filter out all the noise for you. Even though we can bring you a fair bit of volume, you don't have to hire a whole bunch of other administrative overhead in order to handle that volume. Wow. Makes sense. So this, yeah, so this, this is where I push back a lot more when we're talking about middleman. It's like, no, no, no. Dandy does a heck of a lot of work for the lab sure. side as well. So this model is working. This model is growing. And Elvis, one, one thing I, I do want to address, I get asked this a lot because, you know, our Facebook ads, they say, hey, just sign up for Dandy, get a free scanner. For the vast, vast majority of our life, the majority of our doctors that joined were just doctors that already had a scanner. And time and time again, it was usually, it was, it was a trio scanner that they already had. They either were, were using it only for very specific scenarios, or they just weren't using it at all. Um, maybe they didn't want to pay for training, new staff, their head assistant that was great at scanning left, or they didn't feel like teaching themselves, whatever it may be. We would go in and just say, hey, look, we will be your lab. We are digital experts. We have the staff and the resources to support you going digital and transitioning away from analog impressions. How about you just go ahead and, and try Dandy out? And of the initial doctors that we got uh, over 2020, even during pandemic, mm-hmm. I think we've only, I think of the of those, probably 2 to 3% of them have left. The other 97% have stayed with Dandy since. Wow. That's, good That's a yeah. pretty high percentage. <laughs> yeah. I mean, this, this is this is the whole idea, right? Because if you think about the traditional feedback loops that exists between the dentist and the technician, right? Uh, particularly when it comes to physical impressions. The dentist buys their impression material from traditional distributor like Shine or Patterson. Maybe you're buying 3M impression material. They're taking an impression and then they're sending it to their lab tech. It's not the 3M rep that picks up the phone and calls the doctor and tells them, hey, your impression doesn't look good. It's not the Shine rep that tells them. It's their technician. It's the technician that not only tells them, hey, doc, I can't see your margin. I might have to even go chairside and work with you and figure out what the heck is going on here, see see what's up. But for some reason in the digital workflow, for, for a whole host of reasons, right? The workflow that we have is the 3M rep and the Shine rep are the ones teaching the doctors how to take better impressions, not the technician. Dandy is effectively the first lab that actually provides feedback as your lab on how to be a better oral scanner. And, and right, because for us, I, I'm not Shine, I'm not Patterson. I don't make money selling scanners. 
I'm not in the business of equipment sales. I'm not in the business of trying to up renew your annual subscription or sell you more training. I'm in the business of being your lab. And the better you are at being an intraoral scanner means that it's a lower remake rate for me, which means it's better economics for me. That's it. Hmm. I definitely agree with that because, you know, like I said, we get a lot of scans in that are pretty good, but we don't train our docs on scanning. Right. So basically we get, you know, however they were trained, we get the scan in good, bad, or indifferent, you know, and you're kind of stuck there because, you know, we don't train them. You just deal with it. (laughs) Train them properly and get them on the right road and doing things accurately so that you keep your remake at 2% or whatever you said. Actually, you didn't. You said you you have 98% of your clients, but to keep your remake factor that low. Yeah, yeah. I wish your overall remake was that low. <laughs> yeah. You're talking hundreds of thousands of dollars in remakes. I know that for sure. So yeah, that's, that's huge money. Yeah, exactly. To be honest, like I, I really do think a lot of this has to do with the, the lack of digital education, uh, particularly on the on the laboratory side. I mean, look, you, you go to any dental technology school today, even the, the premier third-party courses, there's like maybe one or two CAD CAM courses. There are techs that are graduating today where the only thing that they've done is hand-waxed gold crowns and maybe yeah. stacked porcelain. Yeah. Are you kidding? In 2021? <laughs> it's ridiculous. To tie this all back into the original question, Alice, yeah, no, uh, it's all good. when did we actually start hiring technicians? We ended up getting to this point where, hey, we're doing a lot of work and we were able to grow, but we're starting to hit the the ceiling of what we can do without having to take some work in-house. However, we really, really strongly believe in our hybrid model. We actually did not want to go into doing our running our own lab and doing the production work. What we decided to do instead was start hiring technicians to focus on the design aspect because we realized intraoral scans are accurate enough that, and, and milling machines, frankly, at this point are accurate enough that whatever the designer designed should be borderline identical to the final restoration that gets delivered out. Should be. Should Keyword be. should. Yes, should be. Yep. <laughs> and and for the most part, that hypothesis played out. We started hiring to technicians in-house to design using CAD CAM. And that started as a small endeavor just to test if it would work. And and again, there was just another step function change in the remake and repair rates. We, we, we basically cut it in half for cases that were designed in-house. It's not because our partner labs were, were bad technicians. It was just that we could actually uh, enforce a much greater level of consistency uh, throughout our designs and through our design philosophy that we couldn't through, through our partner labs. Uh, at the end of the day, right, they have their own cases that they still have to design, whereas for us, we can focus just on the dandy doctors and those dandy cases. Part of that path, and, and I'm, I'm curious actually what your experience is on this, you guys. We actually had to go through for some of our partner labs and untrain some habits, particularly when it comes to fitting crowns on 3D printed models. Hmm. What we found was that like in a vacuum, the milling machine is more accurate than the 3D printer, particularly at labs, right? 3D printers that you see, there are form labs, printers, sprint rate printers, even if you have a carbon, um, that's where you, you have, like, you have to be in carbon territory and maybe the, the newest Sega Max territory to be able to get roughly equivalent accuracy from a really nice five axis milled crown versus a printed model. I agree. Yeah. Right. And, and so what we were seeing was that technicians, if they found that the contacts were tight on the model, they were adjusting the zirconia crown. And then we would start noticing uh, open, open contact or <laughs> it's open in the mouth. Yep. And so one of the things that we had to basically teach everyone was like, and this, this is actually funny. We actually noticed that it, we would have lower remake rates for modelist cases from day one than it was to print the model mm-hmm. because the model is deceptive. <laughs> and, and every technician under the sun is trained to you know trust the model. The model is the source of truth. And again, one of these things that we have to teach our labs is like, no, this is the unintuitive part about digital. Your, your crown is funny enough, your source of truth. 
just leave it alone and trust that what the designer did is accurate. This is exacerbated by the fact that most of the labs that uh, I, I, at least I've seen that aren't quite as quick on the digital uptake, they'll have fairly fair-sized uh, digital departments. But because the technicians downstream, the ones that are actually experienced, they don't have the patience to teach the digital designers on how to design their contacts correctly. They find themselves actually being the ones that shape things at final restoration oh, yeah, yeah. and they fit just, it to yeah, the model yeah, instead, right? So they... Yeah. They never actually teach their technicians, hey, this is how you should be working with digital cases. They're, they just they just fix it instead because, you know, this case has got to go out today. Once you start like once you start sitting in the lab space and, and you look at how digital is treated, <laughs> Danny starts to make a whole, whole lot more sense, at least in my mind. Yeah, the, the, the question was, all right, if we had to start from stage one to do a digital only dental lab, what would you do differently? You do things like bring design in-house. You do things like training your doctors yourself to do intraoral scanning. And right to the natural conclusion that we came with at the end of 2020, which is, you know, we got to start doing design ourselves. So how do you train designers? So this is the trade-off that we've decided to make. We know we're good at, we know we're not good at. We know we're good at operations. We know we're good at technical support. We know we're good at software and technology. We are not good at training technicians. (laughs) So Mm -hmm. the trade-off that we made was, well, let's just hire good technicians from the get-go instead. Uh, and I'm sure this is what's fueling a, a lot of the, the discourse I see online about, you know, Dandy's taking away all the, the good technicians. I do want to make it very clear. We actually have never actively recruited a technician. We've only had Indeed postings and job listing postings, and we have used third-party agencies, but we have not actively gone out and recruited our own technicians. Everyone that has joined Dandy has joined of their own volition and just like they frankly believe the Dandy vision. You just talked about the elephant in the room, which I was going to ask anyways, because I don't know any of that stuff that's online. Obviously, Elvis does, but can't any company hire any technicians in the United States freely? I I don't understand. Maybe, Elvis, you can help me. What what is the backlash here? What are people saying? Because I I don't know. Well, it's kind of hard to sum it up because there's a lot of opinion out there. But well, not, uh, yeah. no, yeah, but there's a feeling that Dandy is taking good technicians out of labs and they're not putting them in a lab. They're putting them in a workflow that's taking business away from labs, even though it is a lab. Does that make mm. the workflow is an interesting way of phrasing it? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, You're not a, a traditional a, lab. A and I think that yeah. is a lot of the issue. Right, right. But why, though? There's so many variations of laboratories and designs and milling. And, and look at all the manufacturers that are manufacturing and doing their own designing. And, and, you know, the manufacturers that are turning into laboratories now. Well, how do you answer that, Ken? That is basically... The... <laughs> well, Barbara, Barbara just... I'm, I'm like, I'm like grinning over here. It's like, wow, Barbara just gave my answer. <laughs> oh, <thing>. sorry. <laughs> but honestly... Even coming into this topic... I'm torn. You're right. It's a disruption to the industry. It's providing another source for dentists to get restorations that's not through your traditional brick-and-mortar lab. But at the same time, it's providing, from what I hear, good wage and a good job for technicians, which is what we should all be about. Yeah, 100%. I mean, look, every single one of our technicians right now, they're paid salary, they have free healthcare. As of right now, they also get equity incentive as, as part of joining Dandy, like at the end of the day. Where, I mean, like we don't live out in the stratosphere. We know exactly the kind of business we're building. The te- we are building this with our technicians hand in hand, and they should have a, a portion of this business as well. They rightfully deserve it. 
I think one that that mentality is definitely lost on a lot of labs for sure. However, the the other component here, because I think part of the other sentiment that's going on is like, oh, you know, D- Dandy is killing the industry. I've definitely seen that post a couple of times. Is what is killing the industry? Right? Is like killing small businesses, killing small labs. And, and I'm looking at that. And I'm like, <laughs> I mean, not not to put a fine point on it, but like. Us? Yeah. Over Glidewell, DSG, NDX? Are you kidding? Very actually happy to say that all, all of our partner labs right now are independent businesses. We don't own any of them. Like that's 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 not the kind of business model that we're trying to develop. And frankly, actually, this, this is one of the, the talking points that we have with Dandy and one of the reasons why we're successful. Think about how we work with quite a few labs at this point. And think about this. There are thousands of labs across the United States and dentists spend a heck of a lot of time trying to figure out, okay, which labs should I be using to get the best results for my aesthetic cases, for my removable cases, yada, yada, yada. We've done a lot of that legwork. Like we actually have at this point like a pretty good understanding of who's good at what across the industry. You know, we go through, we like meeting people face to face, we get sample work from them and we, we get to know these labs. What that enables us to do is if a doctor calls me and says, Hey, I want a number thirty A2 pre shaded zirconia monolithic crown. Well, okay, I don't need to send that to the most aesthetic lab in the world to finish it. I can send that to a production lab that has, you know, good quality, good standards. They have good quality control. But at the end of the day, the, the aesthetic requirements for that number 382 are near the same as, you know, your, your feldspastic porcelain six-unit veneers. Yep. To that same point, though, if a doctor calls Dandy and says, hey, I have a VIP client here. I need you guys to send this to a technician. I need you to have your best technician working on this, right? What they mean is that they want some Japanese technician who's permanently hunched over with his loops on. Uh, he saw the founding of Noritake himself. Like He <laughs> wants that guy to work on his case. Great. I have another partner lab that can do that. And the, the beauty is, is that we can go through and actually we're limited by the speed of light in terms of what lab can work on what case. The moment the doctor hits send, if it needs to go to a, an aesthetic partner lab, if it needs to go to something that specializes in orthodontic appliances, that's how long it takes for that lab to get that case. And that's all they get from Dandy. Like there's a consistency component to it where this lab is not getting an unpredictable case set. It's like we tell them right up front, hey, you can expect this kind of restoration request from us. That's all you need to focus on. That's all we're going to send. So what do the labs get out of all this? Because you talk about you hire the designers, they design it, and then it goes to these partner labs. Mm-hmm. What do they get out of it? They get work. <laughs> it's actually just that simple. They're uh, they get... for the restorations. Yeah. yeah. So you pay them just to mill, stain, and send it out? Yeah. I mean, look, obviously we have uh, different pricing agreements because at the end of the day, <laughs> we're taking all, all the administrative overhead. We're designing the case. We're managing all of this. But yeah, at, at the end of the day, we're sending them work for them to finish out. So let me ask you a business question because I have that here. Sure. You've got designers that are off-site. And then you've got your laboratory. How do you communicate between the lab and the designer and yourself if the designer's contacts are too tight or if their centrals aren't good or aesthetics aren't Mm. good? Do you have that dynamic or are they all just that good? I mean, how do you lead your designers off site, you know, and get the information back to them that they need help or adjustments? Sure. So this is, I would say, Dandy's hidden secret. We're a software company. We're a software company that happens to operate in the lab space. And what I mean by that is that we've built our own platform entirely from scratch, our own order management platform. And so part of what we've built natively into this platform is companion software that helps designers like figure out, you know, how they are performing compared like what the doctor feedback is on their cases. And they also get to know for each individual case, part of the prescription for every doctor is their design preferences as well. So they get to actually calibrate and adjust their design based exactly on what that doctor needs. They don't have to have 
uh, you know, 80 cases with that doctor for them to finally get a feel of Got what it. the doctor likes and doesn't like. Yeah. Got it. Okay. So you do the preferences with the doctor before you all ever start working with them. And then the preference go in the system. The designer knows exactly how they like their contacts. And yes. Their you want to know, you actually just touched on this. You want to know what Dandy's hidden superpower is? We don't accept incomplete RX forms. Hmm. They have to be filled out. Doctors are not allowed to submit a case with an incomplete RX. So we're not sitting there with a, you know, chicken scratch on the back of a napkin trying to figure out if the doctor wants an A2 or something. That takes a hell of a lot of the communication out of it if you do that because they can't exactly. press that until everything's yes. out. Okay. Yep. That makes a lot of sense. You don't have any of those half shades? Those are my favorite. <laughs> A2 and a half. A2 point. <laughs> We've got... Point what? <laughs> <laughs> point what? Yeah, I've definitely, definitely seen a couple of those, uh, at least in the free text field. So does the designers know which lab they're using? Is it always the same designer, same lab? No. Um, yeah, no. It, it's, uh, I mean, the designers can find out if they want to employees. It's no mystery. But for the, for the most part, we've gone through and vetted and really worked side by side with our labs where it's like what the designer designs is exactly what the doctor is going to get. Unless you as the partner lab are QCing something, you're like, ooh, something is majorly off, right? Like at the end of the day, it's just still a back and forth and it's a partnership. Uh, there have been plenty of instances where the, the partner lab flags something, the designer's like, oh shit, yeah, I did miss that. Uh, let me go back in and fix that. Yeah. So if a doctor calls in and has a specific technical question, how does that work? I mean, that's what calling a brick and mortar lab is able to handle. Yeah. So, I mean, look, we, we, we still have over 50 technicians. A good chunk of those are, are nothing but support for doctors as well. Uh, In we your find, location or at home? Uh, they still work from home. Okay. okay. The, here's the difference though, right? Even technical, in our experience, even doctors asking technical questions about a case, it doesn't need to be the tech that's working on your case. No, no, like if they're no, asking some, right. This, that's actually the vast majority of them. Like even if a doctor is asking a complex question about like, I don't know, path of insertion for a multi-unit sure, bridge, how should yeah. we group them, splint them? You don't need to be the one working on that plaster model to be able to answer his question. Yeah. And so I think this is one of the counterintuitive things about Dandy is that, hey, the, the beauty of digital is that I can pull up your impression anywhere in the world. I can pull up the history of you as a doctor anywhere in the world, and I can give you a great answer, most of the time, a great answer to your question. The only scenario that, that the current model uh, doesn't maybe support is like, hey, if the doctor wants to ask something and you need to have that case in front of you in your hands. And look, we're not sticklers about it. We will, we can, we, we set up a call for the doctor to be able to get on the phone with a specific technician that works on their case. Uh, but we avoid it at all costs, not because we don't want the doctors to talk to technicians to find the answers, but we, because we have an agreement with our labs that the, the whole point of Dandy is to save them time. Mm -hmm. And if they're finding themselves doing the same thing, answering doctor questions on the phone, then what's the point of working with Dandy? Yeah. True. I'd rather get the full amount from the doctor. Yeah. Exactly. The whole point was just trying to give you less work to do. <laughs> do you want to answer how much you guys charge for like a posterior zirconia crown? I can give you a vague answer for this, right? It, it, obviously, doctors that do more work get better pricing. Okay. If you've seen Glidewell's price sheet, you're about in line with our pricing. Okay. We are obviously a, a smidge higher because, you know, we're giving you a scanner <laughs> for a lot of our practices. Sure. We're giving you free training. But at the at the end of the day, it's, it's a round in line. Yeah. We, don't, we don't have like absurd, I don't know. $250 a Konya monolithic pricing. Sure. At, at the end of the day, you know, 
Jason Kim, Luke Kong, they're really good at what they do. That's their model. That's not us. Well, I just want to make sure that you're not out there selling the $35 crown or something. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, no, no. And you want to make sure of that because you're being impartial, correct, partner? Yeah, absolutely. There is a thought online and in the industry that you guys are out there undercutting everybody significantly. See, I haven't heard any of this. What the hell? I spend too much time online, Barb. I mean, (laughs) obvious. I think you're just the the new uh, company that everybody wants to uh, talk about personally. Yeah. I mean, the dial moves, you know, and, you know, I'm sorry to our listeners, but it always seems like there's one company that people want to go after or talk about that's not doing things like we want or, or they are or they're not. But sounds like it's you guys' turn to me. And you know that, Ken, right? I mean... Oh, 100%. <laughs> no stranger to this. Yeah, it's a disruption to the industry and the workflow and people are going to talk. I've heard a few people mention to me about your targeting ads against labs. <laughs> I have seen an ad myself that says most dental labs are slow. Dandy can do it in seven days. Yeah. I'm going to pose a question back. So two factors. One, like we're, we're going through, we're doing all kinds of online ad marketing. And at the end of the day, right, if we have a dentist that's Googling for a local dental lab, we want to be there on the front page as an option. I will say this. With my new role at my job, I Google dental labs all the time. No matter what you put in, Dandy is always the first paid ad. You guys must spend a buttload. <laughs> it never fails. Uh, and people ask me that, and I was like, try it. And they try it, and they're like, I just typed in Smith Lab, and sure enough, Dandy's right there. <laughs> yeah, if, if we're going to call it the, um, the, the PR answer, I actually just don't know what the heck goes on on that side. This business is large enough now that I don't need to know the day-to-day. Sure. <laughs> somebody's doing something, um, right? I'll say. Somebody's doing something over there, yeah. There's this second component too, which uh, I correct me if I'm wrong, but the vast majority of the conversations I have with our doctors, like the zirconia crown is actually a great example. What is the average turnaround time for a single unit zirconia crown? Six days. Actually, I was at your six days. Six. Is that true at your lab? Yeah. Does that include shipping or is that six days in lab? No, we try to do five days in lab, but yeah, shipping's usually one day or two days there, one day or two days back. Right. But, um, the single units, yeah, for sure. Yeah, and guys, look, I, I don't mean to put a fine point on it, but obviously you guys kind of knew what you were doing and had a pretty solid business going on with your labs. At the end of the day, the vast majority of our doctors that we talk to regularly talking 10 to 14-day turnaround times on zirconia. Who now, are they part using? of this, right? They must be sending it overseas. China. Man, yeah. look, obviously you can look at all, all, all these notes from our, all of our doctor calls, right? We obviously asked them like what, what their previous experience in the lab was. Time and time, the average turnaround time for a zirconia crown is around 14 days. It might not be advertised as that, right? But at the end of the day, like these are small businesses, you know, production doesn't always go as you plan. Oh, sure. uh, and right, and very often these doctors will talk about, you know, oh, I have a 14 day turnaround time in the crown. This, by the way, and I think this is important to call out, this includes the time it takes for the impression to be shipped out, right? So we are counting. So from the doctor's perspective, they are counting from the day they finish taking that impression to when their crown is back in their hand. But something like digital, again, I'm limited by the speed of light and someone's internet connection. With a physical impression, I'm, I'm limited by, A, did the driver come and pick it up? Oh, yeah. Did the FedEx yeah. guy pick it up? Did he get lost to the hub? And those are all the things that, for, at least for intake, and just eliminate all of that. that. That on its own is what contributes enormously to the, the turnaround times. Never mind. So you guys that. don't take physical impressions at all. I am proud to say Dandy has never poured a single model for a case. Good for you. So when they send the scan in, most of the time it's trios, correct? Most so, of the time, yeah. 
So who's doing the model marking and, you know, the margin marking and all of that? Do you guys have a staff that does that or do they do that? Yeah, that's what the, that's what our technicians do. Okay. We do have the occasional doctor that likes marking his own margins. Yeah, so I could see where that would save you at least a day and a half because if they go yeah. off site and they're looking at the models and the margins and, you know, you're waiting all that time, um, that's even another day and a half to save. So. Oh, right. And also, sorry, this is a a tangent, but one thing that people talk a lot about too is the accuracy of intraoral scanners. And look, the reality is intraoral scanners have actually been more accurate than physical impressions probably for the past five, seven years. Yeah. And it, not only is it due to the technology, but also think about the, every time you translate something from one medium to another, you're actually losing a little bit of accuracy. Mm -hmm. So oh, sure. in the case of, right from the analog impression, it's oh, from yeah. putty to plaster. And you got to make sure that plaster was <laughs> mixed correctly. We know, we all know the times when someone just eyeballed the mix and didn't get it right. And then they also have to make sure they don't screw that up. And then they scan it back in. That's three steps of translation. Intraoral scan is one step. <laughs> Tooth to scan. Mm -hmm. And then from there, you start designing on that. That is inherently more accurate. How do you guys handle consistency using different labs with different zirconia brands and different, you know, everyone shades a little different? Yeah. So, I mean, this is why we go through a rigorous amount of testing with our, our labs before we actually roll them out to our doctors. Uh, one, from, from our testing, 90, I mean, truly 90% of the consistency comes from the design. Mm -hmm. It's really the, var the variance in that final 10% is not as much as people make it out to be. Yeah. The mills are accurate enough now that, again, what you design is what you get. Now, obviously, this assumes that <laughs> the labs that we have are maintaining their mills correctly and, and, you know, doing proper maintenance. But everyone we work with, yeah, they're, they're following that. But they don't all use the same zirconia brand. So here's, this might be a hot take here, particularly with monolithic pre-shaded zirconia, uh -huh. it's really hard to tell the difference. It is, sure. Right. Now, now to be things like, you know, multi-layer zirconia, like Katana, that you could, there's, there's still, there's still a market difference between brands, but even that, right. We're, we're slowly coming to a point where it, it's just a commodity product. Yep. It's like, okay, who can, who can pack their powder the cheapest? <laughs> and I mean, it's all coming from, it's all coming from Japan anyway. It's all coming from one Japanese chemical conglomerate. <laughs> it's all, there's only so much you can do to change yeah. on the zirconia side. Even with that though, like there's, there's like internally, we have like a list of recommended brands. We just find that the, the labs that we like working with, they gravitate towards a couple of brands already. So sure. we don't have to do too much. I do see a world in the future where we really, really put all the zirconia through its pacing, do some deep dive chemical analysis. Um, and then we have a brand we recommend, but it's, it's, it's the amount of variance is so, so low. That's not really worth it for us. Sure. Not yet anyway. Interesting. So they just ask for like a multi-layer zirconia and they don't have any, you don't have like a, a name brand or anything. Cause I can't imagine how you could, if you're using several different labs and they're all using different zirconias. Yeah. Well, multi-layer zirconia do you have in your lab? Um, we're using Ivoclar Emax oh. Prime. Ooh la la. Whoa. That's actually out of left field. <laughs> that was not what I was expecting. And then on the lower level we use, or, you know, the DSO level, we use Armand Gerbeck. Whoa. Okay. Very cool. So actually to be honest, 90% of the time I get Katana as an answer. <laughs> uh, there are a couple other brands that our partner labs use, but we've put them through their paces. They look borderline identical. Okay. Yeah. That's cool. I was just curious how that works. Cause I know sometimes, you know, when they ask for Bruxer, you've got to give them Bruxer and really tried to, nothing. <laughs> I want that Jimmy G Glidewell well crown. <laughs> exactly. So sometimes those name brands, you know, can hurt us a little bit, not hurt us, but you know, 
got to get that material Unnecessarily fast for it. How do you manage technicians that work at home? Do you require a certain amount of designs a day? I know this is not going to be a, a, a great thing for listeners to hear. To be honest, I'm actually pretty far removed. I helped start it up, and I'm pretty far removed okay. from the day-to-day on that on our Dandy Design Center now that I'm actually not 100% sure. Good um, answer. Truthful. <laughs> the, the, here's, here's, here's the one thing that I, I will say. The incentive to work at Dandy right now is not – like, hey, if you're if you're a really really fast and consistent designer, you're just getting an absolute paycheck. That's just frankly, it's not the case. This is the reason why we do salaried pay. It doesn't matter what you come up with. What we're optimizing for right now is just making good, high quality work. I'm not asking again. I'm not trying to do a three hundred fifty dollar crown, but I want to do something better than the average in this industry. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, yes, I mean, look, if you're if you're designing. 10 single unit posteriors a day <laughs> we have to have a conversation hmm. uh or if you're doing that three months into your job right we have to have a conversation but what we care a lot more about is right do you have a low remake rate are you are you consistently meeting your metrics are you, are you actually you know helping build this business and build this brand and there's a lot of things that we do to like make sure incentives are aligned this is why we give the equity at the end of the day like we want people to feel like they have ownership in what they're doing and i find that to be a far more effective uh, incentive than any form of unit pay or like required base minimum requirement sure. per day. Do you just feed them the amount of work that they need to do? Or are they required to do X amount by the end of the day just to keep? Oh yeah. See, now, now we're at the technical level. I actually have no idea. Anymore. Okay. I was just, you're right. You're right. You're right. I sorry. Was just gonna I, say, he said he didn't know. I'm sorry. <laughs> just because he doesn't know I doesn't mean to... I want to know. <laughs> if I had to guess, you know, like we used to do things, you know, they have to have a, you know, certain amount that they need to hit on average and then go above that or, but not too far below that and then track the remakes because, you know, you've, you've got to have goals, especially if you have equity in the company and then your designers are going to want to make sure they hit those goals. So 100%. it's just a guess though. Of course. I'll be very honest with you, Barbara, your guess is as good as mine today. Yeah. It's a, this is one of the, the nice things about, you know, company grows. You don't have to have every single part of the company in your head oh, yeah. as you try and manage it. You can actually have great people that you hire and trust that they're doing a good job as well. So let's talk about a rumor that's going around. Another one. Okay. Sorry, oh my dogs are talking. <laughs> I've been asked a few times if people think Dandy's eventually going to take everything overseas. That is, mm. you know, like a way that say, hey, we've built up this brand. We have the doctors. Now it's time to open up our facilities in X country and keep everything down to a minimum. Interesting. If that does happen, it'll be after I leave this company for sure. There's just a, there's a couple of inherent things. So like, look at the at the end of the day, like we've we've evaluated a lot of overseas vibes. Not um, won't lie about it, right? We have tons and tons of samples from them. They still don't meet the quality bar that we're looking for. Very consistently, do not meet that quality bar that we're looking for. And frankly, when it comes to things like zirconia, and this is just kind of true of manufacturing in general, the amount of human labor required to make a zirconia crown has been like falling precipitously over the past two decades and and as a result right like actual labor savings doesn't move the needle a whole lot with things like zirconia it's it's more about like hey how do you achieve scale and how do you start machining things more more and more effectively i think those like those realities alone like forget forget the dandy dynamics the realities of zirconia manufacturing alone basically dictate that the, the amount of cost savings that you get going overseas is minuscule if any, that may change in the future. I obviously, am, I don't have a glass orb. If I did, I'd probably be uh, not at Dandy, but you know, somewhere in Wall Street <laughs> trying to make a fortune. Uh-huh. But yeah, that, I think that's the answer I can give. That's a good answer, I think. It's a truthful answer, and I appreciate that. It's just something that a lot of people mention. 
I'd like to know what, where, where the hell you're hearing all this stuff, Elvis. Jesus. Online and at shows. I mean, it's a topic. Okay. People talk about it. It comes up quite often. Well, all right. Which is what disruption does, you know? A whole lot of new conversations that come out of it. I'm curious, Ken, because you mentioned you didn't even know what a crown was a couple of years ago. <laughs> How the hell did you learn all this? Oh, geez. So there's one thing I want to touch on here. Almost all the best digital technicians that I've ever come across, they actually have that exact same story. They had a family member who worked at a dental lab. They had no idea what a crown was. They had experience with computer-aided design software, even from gaming, from an industrial background, whatever it might be. Those generally ended up being the really good digital technicians. They had no idea how to wax a crown. And I would say, I somewhat fall into that camp. Almost everything that I've learned has just been by immersing myself like i I, for three months uh, i lived on site at one of our partner locations just to learn more about that system and and help them iterate and improve production and look it's 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 right this is what i mentioned at the beginning there's no good formal education system for digital dentistry all the good digital dentists and the digital dental technicians taught themselves Mm -hmm. i think i fall into that category as well so that's how i learned google YouTube, Clydewell's YouTube channel is actually an incredible resource. Yeah. Another hilariously niche but very helpful resource, Indian dental technology schools and dental schools in general post almost all of their content on SlideShare. I cannot tell you how many very useful data points that I found or like useful terms and explanations that I saw on SlideShare more so than any other dental technology textbook I found in the U.S. Interesting. Wow. That's a super good resource to have. It's a very niche one. It was like you start noticing in like uh, uh, certain common themes and looks and aesthetics to them uh, in Google Images, and that's you end up going down these rabbit holes. It's like, oh hey, I'm trying to understand like you know the various class types of partial dentures. Great, you go to Google Images of partial class dentures. At some point, there will be a slide share with some explanation, and that is usually the rabbit hole that you can end up going down to learn all about it. It's crazy. Can you hear me? Uh, I think Elvis has been muting between his dogs. Oh, I was like, what happened? I was like, well, we're at 55 minutes, so I think we did uh, got, I, I don't know. He's probably going to ask another crazy No, I'm sorry. Yeah, I mean, look. This is, no, I'm sorry. This is I'm sorry. I'm sorry. These, are my I'm sorry. These dogs are driving me nuts today. <laughs> Obviously, you hear all the bad that people say in our industry about Dandy. Mm-hmm. What do you have to say to them? I mean, I know we've just spent the last hour kind of talking about it. But if you could give them a short answer when they say Dandy's terrible to this industry, what do you say? So I'm going to give an antagonistic answer. And if we have to remove this, we have to remove uh, Antagonistic. I think, so are you familiar with the, the Dental Lab Network forum, Elvis? Yeah, yes. absolutely. I am, actually, believe it or not. So there's a thread <laughs> on there that a dentist started about Dandy. And, you know, he was, he was just posting that the dentist, he was getting started with Dandy and was curious to get feedback on it. And immediately, like, you know, the rest of the forum rips into Dandy in some way, shape or form, which is at this point to be expected. But what I found so fascinating was that over time as the doctor, right, this, this is actually at the core of Dandy's philosophy. We call it just like customer obsession. We just want to make the dentist have an incredible customer experience. The dentist over time kept saying relatively positive things about Dandy. It's like, hey, this training experience actually went pretty well. The hardware that they provided seems to be really, really high quality. Really appreciated the work that they've done so far. He even went out of his way. It was like, hey, I have some critical feedback on Dandy, which actually we really did appreciate uh, him writing that out. You know, I, I don't, I still don't have quite the level of confidence I want to be able to send my hyper aesthetic, like, you know, $200, $350 a unit sure. work to these guys. But everything else, like, I really understand Dandy. I really get it. I like using this service. At some point, someone in that forum accused him of being a dandy shill. 
<laughs> the same guy who opened this was like, I've never used Dandy before. I have some critique of it, but I'm enjoying the experience. And like, like that, that was, it was like a perfect microcosm of like what I always found troubling about the lab industry. There still seems to be this tendency with a lot of business owners, and I get it, right? Running a small business is so incredibly stressful. <laughs> I guess speaking from experience. Mm. The, the reality is, though, is that I find that people have a tendency to blame dentists, right? It's like, oh, this is the dentist's fault. Uh, it's always the dentist's fault. Change. It's always the dentist's fault. And like, look, you want to know what the novel thing that Dandy does? We don't blame our dentists. That's actually one of our, our, our points. One of the things, internally, we do not have a concept of a remake and a repair. For us, those are one and the same. If anything went wrong with that case, it was Dandy's fault. Even if the doctor said B1 in his prescription, but actually meant C2, guess what? The trios has color data. If we saw a B1 for a single unit, we could probably figure out that the B1 was the wrong selection. And, and it's, it's that mentality that Dandy has that I think freaks out a lot of technicians where it's just like, huh. We don't, we don't, well, like, this is the pattern that I keep finding where it's like, there's no way Dandy can be doing as well as they're doing. They, they have to be having this VC model where they're hemorrhaging cash and just giving free scanners to doctors in order to get them on. It's like, no, you know what the dirty secret is? Yes, Dandy doctors join Dandy. They also don't leave Dandy because it's a fundamentally better experience for them. Interesting. And yeah, <laughs> there's that component. I think there's also the other reality, which is there are certain types of labs that we will never be able to compete with. We cannot do same-day repairs, relines, uh, procedures, yeah. can't do custom chair-side shading. We are, like again, I, I keep bringing up Jason Kim, but like, Jason Kim's the perfect example. I'm not competing with Jason Kim for his doctors. <laughs> like I, I, know, I know my lane. We are just trying to bring digital to the rest of the dentists in this country. Right now, it's just been, it's traditionally just been something where only 20, 30% of all dentists have had intraoral scanners. I'm sure a lot of them were things that were collecting dust. We're just trying to bring that 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 you know that higher quality, higher standard of care to the rest of dentistry. Well said. Yeah, you guys do more than just crowns. We talk a lot about crowns, but yeah, I mean, you do yeah. a full range of products. Yep, implant restoration, surgical guides. We are now rolling out our digital denture offering, partials. Frankly, everything with the exception of full arch fixed restorations and sleep apnea devices. This is as of what. November 2021. Yeah. Those are the only two things that we don't do yet. I was going to say you dated it for a reason. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So for those two things, not quite yet. Those will be ready soon. How do you we handle just, implants and abutments? Do you let the labs choose who's milling the abutment? Oh, man, Elvis. This is a whole rant I can go down. <laughs> Uh-oh. Okay. So for us, we actually dictate the vast majority of, of what gets used and where and why. Here's the reason, and I don't know if anyone at the FDA listens to this. Uh, if, if you are, please email me, ken at meetdandy.com. I have some thoughts. Uh, but here's the long story short. I, I want to say back in 2015, 2016, right, the FDA came out with a whole bunch of restrictions yep. around what interfaces that you could mill. Yep. Um, and <laughs> again, another perfect perfect data point where it's just like technicians are complaining that you know the, the, the NADL wasn't fighting for them, that this is regulation is going to kill this industry. It's like, are you kidding you're mad that you can't mill the interface on your Roland for an abutment? <laughs> Is that the hill you're going to die on? No, of course you can't do that. The FDA actually like made a very logical decision. Yeah, it's actually smart. Yeah. It's incredibly smart. However, I think that the one mistake that I felt like was made when it came to scan bodies, right? So we're an intraoral scanning company. We live and die by the scan body. One of the most frustrating components uh, about implant dentistry, and actually you work at Preet now, so I think you understand this fully. I'm going to give you an example like Zimmer. Every company under the sun just has an implant system that is a carbon copy of Zimmer. So why is it that I can't use a Zimmer scan body 
uh, either from Zimmer itself or some one other 510k approved platform like MT Trading, Desk, mm -hmm. Identica. Yeah. Why can't I use that scan body to manufacture a Zimmer blank from any one of those partners? If I have a Medentica scan body, I should be able to mill an NT trading blank. If you assuming right, they both have the 510k approval. Yeah. And this is actually you know it's comical. This is a solved problem. If you go into the three shape settings for implant libraries, they have a universal positioning system. So it's actually totally feasible to do this. The reason why this hasn't been that big of an issue so far, from our understanding of it, is that if you're the average lab, you're just putting screwing a scan body onto a plaster model that already has an analog in it, right? Because that's that's how the case was submitted to you. That's, the issue around what we, what we describe as scan body lock-in doesn't matter so much. It's like, oh, actually, do I want to make mill this out of a desk blank? Great, I'll screw a desk scan body in. Do I need to unscrew this? I need to send it to Arjun instead with an Arjun scan body? Great, I can do that too. You don't have that luxury with intraoral scanning. And so for us, we've actually had to go to the point where we are providing the intraoral scan bodies for free to our dentists just so that we can make sure they have the flexibility to be able to pick what kind of unit or restoration that they want. Because we do give them the option of having it milled, what we call milled from the authentic versus being milled by an FDA-approved generic, which, right, not to put a fine point on it, but it's like if, if you had a Strawman tissue level, I, yes, uh, you can send it to Strawman's milling center or we can, you know, save some money and you can uh, mill it from another 510K approved titanium blank. The only restriction, though, is that you can't do that if it was like a death scan body or a Strawman scan body. It would have to be something like an ELO scan body or a three-shape scan body. There's a whole, whole rabbit hole down there. That is a uh, rabbit think, hole. <laughs> I, I, I think there could be there could be some change in language that would be go, go a long way in order to manage that what we describe as the scan body lock-in. Wow. Interesting. Well, Ken, I think we've come up on an hour very easily. <laughs> I, you know, I, I keep going if you guys want to. I can talk about this all day. <laughs> well, I have a feeling that after people listen to this, they are going to have questions. So, oh yeah, I bet. Let's take the questions and let's have you back on sometime. Absolutely. Because I mean, really, I don't know. Let's not give an opinion. <laughs> so, <laughs> we appreciate you, Ken. Thank you. Yeah, likewise. Thank yeah, you guys. thank you so much. It's it was great to hear the dandy story and to really hear what you're about and put some of the rumors to sleep. Absolutely. If you're a skilled digital technician and uh, you're interested in driving the dental industry towards digital overall, look, I think you should come work for Dandy. You can find all of our open positions at careers.meetdandy.com. We're looking for all kinds of positions, and yeah, we're always looking for great digital technicians to come join our team. There you go. Thanks, Ken. Thank you. Awesome. Talk to you soon. Thank you, guys. Whitmix is pleased to add the Varicast OS, a burnout pattern print resin, to Whitmix's growing Varibrand resin offering. Varicast OS works with LCD and DLP printers in both 385 and 405 nanometer wavelengths. It prints accurate and detailed crowns, bridges, substructures, and RPD frameworks. It's durable and leaves no ash or residue. Since it burns out cleanly, Veracast OS is ideal for investment casting and ceramic pressing. For optimal results, we recommend the Whitmix Resin Vest, which is a phosphate investment made specifically for burning out printed or milled resin patterns. Visit Whitmix.com to learn more about the Veracast OS or any of Whitmix's other 3D print resins.
a huge thanks to Ken Butler for coming on our podcast. We really did appreciate you and Dandy for using our podcast as a platform to discuss what exactly you guys are doing and why you're doing it. It's important to note that what they are doing is not illegal or even morally wrong. You might not agree with what they are doing, but at the same time, you can't blame them for doing it. And again, our podcast is a platform for discussion. We welcome others to reach out to us at info at voicesfromthebench.com with questions and or comments that you have for Dandy, as Ken has agreed to come on again and also answer some questions. But one thing is for sure... Dandy is here and they're not going away. So I just want to add that I've reached out to a couple of individuals that work for Dandy as designers. And since I posted this podcast on Friday to announce it's going to come out on Monday, a couple have even reached out to me. I asked them because I wanted to know more about what's it like working for Dandy. And I told them I wouldn't release their names. But the ones I've talked to, all of them say that Dandy treats them very well pays them better than what they were making in their own traditional lab, and they really, really like working for them. And I think it's important to note that technicians are being hired and that they're having a good experience. I've also talked to a few labs that are their partner lab. I've run into them on my travels and at conventions. Not even one really had anything bad to say working with them. So like I said during the interview, I'm torn. It is a disruption to our industry, and it might hurt labs, but it also provides good paying careers for technicians. But we would love to hear your opinion. So send us an email or hit us up on social media. And like what Barb said, Dandy is here. Well, that's all we got for you, everybody. We'll talk to you next week. Have a good one. Bye. Things I don't miss about the lab.